0: Hello and welcome to Fats on Film. I am your host, Hannah Ogilvie, and this is the podcast where we talk about all things fat representation in film, TV, and wider media. Now, this week I have my guest, writer and director of film and TV, and author of the non-fiction book Fat Girl Best Friend, it's Sarah Grant. Hello, Sarah. Hello, and thank you so much for having me. This is the ultimate podcast that I want to be on, so I'm so excited. (laughs) Literally, oh my god, so you know, what is so interesting about how I found you was my sister-in-law, I don't know if she even listens to this podcast, Uh, I don't think she's a podcast girlie, but... If Kat, you are listening, hello. She um, saw, because she lives up in Glasgow, and I think you were doing an event near Glasgow Mm -hmm. where I think you might have been doing a reading of your new book, Fat Girl Best Friend. And she messaged me, going, You'd be really into this. And I was like, click they're like oh my god we're thinking about the same things other people are talking about things we want to talk about so I asked when I dropped you a message asking if this would be something you'd be interested in talking about further on the podcast
1: so much more yeah um I yeah I uh, so fat girl best friend is my first book um, I predominantly work in film and television, but I always wanted to write, um, I, wanted, mm. I also wanted to write books. I was three years into an English degree when I found out that I was dyslexic. <laughs> <So, laughs>
0: oh, <laughs> of course.
1: Of course. I should pivot. <laughs> so, mm. you know, it's a wee cheeky pivot. Um, but no, it was really great to be able to release a book. And uh, yeah, Fat Girl Best Friend is just about comparing plus-size women in film and television and the characters that we play, because we're such a rare mm commodity that you kind of sometimes it can just be seen as just this bonus this amazing plus if you see a plus size person like a fat person in being represented at all but it's only Mm. when you actually like take them out of context and line them up together you kind of see these ugly tropes arising and as I started in my practice changing from going purely behind the camera to doing some work where I was in front of the camera I realized that the Mm. only roles I was being seen for was the sassy sidekick or the what the insipid wallflower of the best friend no one was ever interested in seeing me for any kind of leading part or romantic lead um uh-huh. so I was like hmm I I think there's more to explore here so yeah that's Fat Girl Best mm-hmm. Friend It came out in July and glad I think the Glasgow event must have been the book launch it was one of the best nights of my life
0: <laughs> oh oh that's so good oh I mean everything you've spoken about is things that we explored on this podcast like the tropes that uh (laughs) whoever whoever the powers that be believe that uh, only fat people can satisfy so yeah those fat best friends or the sassy sidekicks or like even like sages the people who give advice Mm -hmm. but they were the main character and you know if you think about representation how important representation is to how people view themselves and you know, the paths that they they, they um, believe is possible for them. If you're constantly being fed, you are not the main character. Mm-hmm. Well, what's that going to do for your psyche? You know, what's that going to do for your boundaries? Are they, how much of a people pleaser could that make you? Because that's what you're constantly being reinforced. So much
1: so. I remember, like, when thinking about it and having to kind of reflect on my own experiences, I I remember how much effort and value I put into the fact that I was funny, that I was a creative person. And I think it's because I realised, or I I felt that I had to earn my place within my friendship group. I had to provide value beyond Mm -hmm. just being myself. I had to make them laugh. I had to make (laughs) them want to be around me. And I think Mm -hmm. that's because, like, we are told that we're never the main character. So Mm -hmm. other people are... Other people who are main characters these these thin leads are having their a big emotional moment, and that is very valid and uh-huh. whatever I was going through wasn't really valid enough, so I kind of had to be like i need I need to stay relevant, I need to stay." um I need to stay important in you so I need to give you more and yeah the people pleasing I feel that <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah right yeah I see it a lot I see it a lot on social media when I like you know I follow a lot of uh, fat content creators you know curate your social media feed to who you need to see don't mm-hmm. fall down that rabbit hole but yeah I follow a lot of fat uh, content creators and it again that unfortunately just feels like such a, like, such a universal experience because to your point if you're not going to provide I don't know the good looks and I'm using air quotes good looks to the group and you're not going to attract the men to the group then you have to give something you have to serve in some way like your personality is enough so yeah being being the funny one or being like the constant designated driver maybe yeah. you're the one who's always at the end of the phone if someone wants to have a, a moan about their boyfriend and uh, even though you've never been in a relationship yourself you know like all of these tropes um, do, you know, they're tropes, yes, in media, but they do become a reality because that's just what we think we're meant to be. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I think we are talking about it more and more, like, you know, things like your book, like this podcast, we're discussing fact representation more and more and the impact it therefore has on like people's true and real lives. Mm. Uh, but I'm so happy that we are having this conversation more and more. Because, I mean, if you think back to when you were younger, Sarah, no one was talking about fat representation. Oh, no.
1: I mean, the way that I kind of describe my upbringing was, was does it has anyone else been personally victimized by the 90s and noughties? Right. Yes. Well, Here it's, she is. It's, it's the gaslighting, the gaslighting oh. of... Size 10, Rennie Zellweger for Bridget Jones was fat Please. or yeah. for Sex in the City, just like, you know, yes. it's 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 so not only were people talking about this kind of positive representation, we were being made fun of even when like fat was attributed a moral value and not a, mm-hmm. a, a neutral describer and mm-hmm. it was like the, the mere presence of a fat body like fat monica mm-hmm. and friends the most yeah joke that like, you can totally tell them when the first time she appears it's meant to be a one-time joke but they just kept mm-hmm. bringing her back out and then it was the laziest writing and like i mean i mm-hmm. could talk a lot about friends but mm-hmm. a lot of things i was like oh some of this for its time was like really progressive and how it showed like yeah. you know, women um w- like women like you know being professionals and looking after mm-hmm. themselves there's a lot that you could say about it but at the same time the way it treated fat people and queer people,
0: God. <laughs> it yeah. was
1: I mean, so far in the other direction. And yeah, and that's what we were exposed to. So I'm like, well
0: <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> that's like ultimately it and I guess that's you know to to our own horns here. That's why we're speaking about what we're speaking. That's why we want the listeners to be listening because we want to like uh dismantle and dissect those representations and you know kind of Shine a light on the lies that we've been told, like you say, uh, that fatness has some kind of moral value or that we're just some kind of joke that we're not to be taken seriously. It's so important.
1: I I think for us being more um, just in terms of the work that we do puts us in a more kind of analytical headspace when it comes to consuming media, because we all consume media. But if you Uh are not someone who works in this industry and stuff, which most people don't, then they're probably going to be seeing things, feeling things, internalizing things without any of the kind of analytical tools that we just which we have because of the jobs that we do to be able to go that's actually not right. So it is great that we're talking about this because most mm-hmm. people don't have those tools to be able to go, hang on, hang mm-hmm. on, I'm trained to pick up this and and identify a trope and understand how it makes me feel. Whereas there's going to be people who don't, who are just going to still feel horrible because of, everything that they watch which is the same as what we did so it's great to to talk about it more
0: (laughs) yeah it's great we get to talk about it and on that well let's get into it so this episode we're going to talk about stranger things yeah stranger things is a sci-fi horror show for netflix developed by the duffer brothers and the first season premiered on the 15th of july 2016 i cannot believe it was that long ago wow and we've had four seasons so far. The fifth and final season is coming out at some point. We, who knows when? Uh, it's an ensemble cast. So you have the younger guys and the, the younger kids, and then you've got the adults. So you've got Winona Ryder. Absolutely. Diamond, Another <laughs> rider. you got David Harbour, Finn Wolfard, Millie Bobby Brown, uh, Gayton Motorazzo, Kayla McLaughlin, uh, Natal- uh, Natalia Dyer, Charlie Heaton, you got Matthew Modine for a couple seasons, Noah Schnapp, you got Sadie Sink, Joe Keary, Sean Aston, who we will talk about more in a bit, Paul Riser, Maya Hawk, Prior Ferguson, and Brett Gelman. Nominated for a bunch of awards, including Golden Globes and Primetime Emmys, throughout its run, and Sarah, can you give us a plot synopsis of Stranger Things?
1: Sure. So plot so with the Stranger Things, I think that it really mined to the nostalgia value. So it went straight for the eighties aesthetic mm. and tried to tell you a story that we've all seen before that's comforting. So we have these four little <laughs> boys who are like in the kind of American suburbs, always on their bikes, playing d d having a really kind of wholesome time in the small town of Hawkins. And everything starts to go a little bit upside down when one of the subjects, uh, a test subject with magical powers, a little girl called Eleven, just uh, identified by her number, escapes from the Hawkins lab and uh, makes her way to Hawkins uh, town in general and comes across these boys who kind of look after her and take care of her, and because of her powers, um, she is pursued very highly by these kind of government black sedan mm. type, um, like very general baddies. We have seen it before, but it is very <laughs> comforting. And um, what kind of happens is the boys are at the age that they're keeping things from their parents, so the parents don't understand why strange things are happening, like bad pun, strange things <laughs> are in the town, and um it turns out that. Hawkins sits on top of uh, a rift in a kind of uh, space-time continuum. It it sits above a parallel world um, that they call the Upside Down, and there are Mm -hmm. spaces where there are gaps opening between um, our world and the Upside Down, which is a kind of monster-filled shadow version of our world. And Eleven has the power to close these gaps, but since these gaps are open, monsters are coming through and escaping, and the boys need to protect Eleven from the people who are trying to take her back to the lab and continue experimenting on her and also um find her a home a family and also defeat the evil monsters that are invading the small town of hawkins
0: that's it that's it in a nutshell (laughs) and we've had four seasons of this (laughs) that's
1: that's the premise season one it goes places shenanigans happen
0: Yeah shenanigans and new villains come in and they come back out again other countries get involved oh yeah oh yeah yeah. we can't have an 80s american suburb
1: film without some cold war nostalgic fear please
0: (laughs) please let's just have a russian base under the wall why not (laughs) we can't we can't do anything without being scared of the russians (laughs) (laughs) of russia yeah just just a general like yeah exactly like the whole country's out to get you yes um you from let's just start from the very beginning then Sarah do you like Stranger Things? I really
1: like Stranger Things mm. I really like that it had I think it um started something really new I mean nostalgia is a huge yeah like thing that is being mined just now but I think it's because we live in a horrible place <laughs> the world is <laughs> it's a really antagonistic place for so many people that we have mm. cost of living crisis we have so many difficult things happening in our world just now and i kind of feel that there's a crying out for comfort especially from the pandemic i mean right like figures watching figures for things like the royal family on bbc mm. and gavin and stacy these properties that ended tens of years ago um all went through this massive resurgence because everyone's looking for comfort. And I think there's an element of looking back to the classics and wanting a simpler time. And I really like that as a starting place to then be able to play with aesthetics. I think it, I think, um, stranger things also inspired things like sex education, which is a contemporary story with a period drama, um, Mm. like production design. And it's just, I I really like how it's quite innovative. I think there's Mm -hmm. definitely some bits that I don't like. Um, Mm -hmm. But one thing I will say is that I kind of feel that Stranger Things from season to season is a fan led piece when mm. you saw one thing that really bothered me specifically about season two was the lack of female friendship there were no female mm-hmm. friendships no women were talking to each other and it's which mm. was really upsetting it was just a okay, case so you had these great girl characters who were just hanging on after the boys and everyone there was a huge outcry especially between um l mm. and max and then yeah. in three there was this huge story turn up pivot where they became best friends and yes yeah i have a feeling that a lot of um a lot of things kind of came from that i also know that from the first season there came about the hashtag which we're going to talk about justice for mm. barb and then i mm-hmm. kind of feel that going forward the barb storyline or like the importance of barb was like played into almost like retrospectively yeah i kind of feel sh- the outcry and then they they had to try and find a way to give it importance in further seasons because they've they mm-hmm. ruined it like <laughs> they, yeah. they missed the trick and i kind of yep. feel that they actually do that which i'm not really a fan of like you know fans having the kind of power over the creators i'm not really a fan of fan-led shows it just it's a little bit fan servicey however mm. it has led to some improvements specifically in female friendship representation
0: and justice for barb <laughs> and justice for barb yeah that's a really interesting point i hadn't i hadn't thought of it from that perspective um so I'm not the biggest Stranger Things fan, I will say, and I know I'm in the minority. I know that's not that's not the common opinion. I'm just one of these people who I think if it was just one season, it would be like one of the best shows we've ever seen in our lives. Oh, I'm but with because, you. Yeah, but because they of they clearly didn't plan. They clearly didn't plan what was going to happen next. No. I find season two boring because it's the exact same as season one. I don't even remember season three apart from, like, the big monster in the mall. And then season four, it's good, and then it's not so good. So I'm just – I will watch it because my partner really likes it. He's, like you know, say about nostalgia. My partner loves the nostalgia. He loves the look of it. And obviously the music's amazing. Yeah. Uh, But I do – am I a plot goodly? Maybe I am. (laughs) But I, I just think I think the story is uh, isn't the strongest piece, and that I just struggle with that. But on that note, I have seen it all, uh, so I, ha- I have something to talk about here. But let's go into the reason why we're talking about it on this podcast when we talk about fat representation. So we're going to talk about three se- uh, different characters, and we're going to start with Barb Holland, who you've already kind of mentioned. So Barb Holland is uh, Nancy's best friend. Oh, funny that we! I feel we like were setting this up early, weren't we? We got a plus size best friend into the group, and uh she. It looks like that Nancy and Barb are drifting when we first meet them because Nancy, she is this uh, gorgeous woman, stereotypically gorgeous, small frame, getting the the eye from the really hot guy in school, and Nancy's kind of like. Leaving behind her plus size long term best friend and poor barb she's trying so hard to keep relevant, so she uh is the designated driver right so she uh, Nancy rings her at one point uh to ask if she would drive her to the party so um which is i think uh what's his name Steve. Steve is hosting the the big the hey, big yeah oh, well good looking man we'll just say oh, that well good looking man. <laughs> and uh yes yeah, so they go to the party and nancy's getting a bit drunk and she's like pressuring barb to get involved but barb isn't really comfortable these are not her friends they're her friend's friends she doesn't feel comfortable and then Nancy decides she's going to go up to the bedroom and you know do what teenage girls do and tells barb to go home but barb doesn't go because she feels so loyal to her friend but her friend doesn't feel that loyalty back and the upside down happens, or the Demogorgon comes and grabs her and pulls her into the upside down. And I rewatched that scene for in prep for this for this uh show, this episode, and uh Shannon Purser, who plays Barb, her performance as she's getting dragged into the pool at like, school. Oh, it really is a horror moment. Yeah. And yeah, we see that she's been dragged into the upside down and she's actually our first character to die yeah. <laughs> in this show. And yeah, well, well, what are your thoughts on Barb? When you first meet her, like, uh, you know, are, do you like her? Are you intrigued by her? Do you want to know more about Barb?
1: Well, of course I want to know more about Barb. I know absolutely nothing about her. Her first line in the show is to sidle up to Nancy and say, did he call yet? Establishing straight away, straight Perfect. away, that we're going to be talking about Nancy now. And then mm-hmm. that is what happens. Barb doesn't have any wants of her own actually she doesn't say at any point that she doesn't want to go to the party it's all about Mm -hmm. nancy and when when they do go to the party and they are like you know parking up and nancy's changing into something a little sluttier because we've all done Mm -hmm. that we've all done sure hoik the skirt up no shaming here but when but when Barb is kind of saying I'm not sure what it is that you're doing here and she also says Nancy you're not that stupid because Nancy's like I'm oh. just going like have some fun and Barb's like you're, you, you're not this dumb Like you know exactly mm-hmm. what you're doing and this is the thing that really hurts me is that Nancy does know exactly what she's doing she knows exactly what she's doing she's putting herself outside of her comfort zone and she's bringing Barb along because Barb is her safety net and as soon yes. as she decides she's happy to go beyond her comfort zone then barb no longer matters it was never yeah. okay protecting barb whereas barb is always protecting nancy yeah and i'm just like a little bit okay mm-hmm. that did not need to happen mm. that could have happened another way it would have been way more interesting because obviously barb's death sets up mm-hmm. the whole series and I find it really interesting because I'm really interested in horror and women in horror specifically yeah. in the concept of the yeah. final girl and the final mm-hmm. girl is usually at the end of the slasher movie the only one alive and usually they are studious and virginal and it's usually yeah by death happens to everyone else around in her so when you think about it it should have been Barb that should have been the final girl but mm. she becomes a kind of version of the final girl Nancy mm-hmm. which this is one thing I love about Nancy's character is that when put in a situation, Nancy finds out that she has a natural propensity to be extremely brave. Like, I just love the idea of this, like, you know, girl next door character mm-hmm. when put into the line of fires. Like, no, I'm mm-hmm. actually a badass and I can handle things, which is great. <laughs> but did her best friend literally have to die to set her off on this journey? And even then, yeah. the journey doesn't happen. To, the journey isn't to find Barb's killer and to get revenge. It's that I think there's a monster. So it's more it's happenstance. It only really gets the weight of Barb died, and there needs to be justice in the mm-hmm. later seasons after the outcry. So mm-hmm. there's not really much I can say about Barb apart from the fact that she is literally sacrificed. I mean, we've mm. seen this trope so many times in young adult mm-hmm. before. I think it's very it's very easy to see the. I mean, a, a direct comparison is um, Saoirse social Ronan and Beanie Feldstein in Ladybirds and Greta Gerwig yeah. Ladybird is that Saoirse Ronan is wanting to be with the rich cool popular kids and the first thing she does is say to her best friend Julie when she sits down and goes here's your packed lunch that my mum made she goes no I'm on a diet even though she's thin and that's it and instantly Mm. the cut is there and we see how she's going to do that she's going to leave behind her world and the representation Mm -hmm. of the world that she doesn't want to be anymore because it's lame and it's beneath her as a fat girl and that just Mm. really annoys me so it's not the first time that we have seen the thin lead sacrifice her friend in order to elevate her social standing. Yes, which is always yeah. a fat girl, and in this case, yeah. Barb is literally sacrificed. Bothers yes.
0: me. <laughs> yeah, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. These that trope of yeah, if you want to elevate your status, if you want to be taken more seriously, in I don't know, in, in just being the popularity contest which is school then you have to graduate from your plus size friend because they're they're almost like dragging you down yeah right and and yeah and then it's interesting that the, the stranger thing is goes that one step further to actually kill barb yeah. you know so oh well nancy's not going to have this and i apologize for the pun here this dead weight yeah around nancy's ankles anymore because nancy needs to progress to the steve the hare harrington's level yeah. and then not only that it does it become a cat like it does become a catalyst for nancy eventually because in season two like you say after the whole hashtag justice for barb uh nancy is a lot more hot on to this idea of like you know we need to uh get something get give the parents some closure yes. on barb because the parents well the police have told the parents that barb was just a runaway because the 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 you know the the men in suits, as you as you mentioned earlier, they've taken the car and they've dumped it somewhere else, and apparently all girls just happen to run away with none of their shit in the car. Like it makes perfect sense, and so the parents think. They they hope that that means Barb will come home one day. Yeah, And I think it's interesting when that scene happens, when you see Nancy and Steve, well, I think it's more Nancy, she has that kind of guilt across her face. She's like, oh my God, we have to do something. And they're at the table with Barb's parents and Barb's dad's a fat person and the mum is smaller and they're having KFC. Now I appreciate, in the 80s, I think KFC was like the new thing, like it was the hot new thing. So there's probably a little bit of... Uh, like novelty around having a KFC at that time but it also wasn't lost on me (laughs) that we have a you know fat family at least two out of these three members were larger people and they are now having fast food I was like do
1: we really hammer that home like for sure that's the only time you ever see fast food because like a lot of Mm. the parents a lot of the mums Uh, different points in the season have little bits of kind of midlife crisis of being like you know trapped in the 50s in the 50s nostalgia of keeping a home and of keeping a home having a part-time job and looking after their families and they all have crises. I mean Nancy's mum has this whole thing where she thinks about having an affair with Billy because she's always making the dinner yeah so every other person you see is at home with because they're all mums like because we're following these children like they were following the, the story of these children and their surrounding environment which is their parents included
0: mm-hmm. and we see
1: mm-hmm. them all do having these home-cooked meals and hi mikey are you
0: staying for dinner but then we go to barb's mm-hmm. family and they get kfc <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah so really good it's it's Oh, it's just—it was just a point where I was like, "Oh, like okay, okay, we get it." Like you're trying to hammer home that they're unhealthy, and oh, but it's, just, it's just such dated references. Oh yeah, absolutely, and another—it mm.
1: leans into another. Idea that all fat people are like sub subject to physical ineptitude. They're completely unable of doing things physically, like you know, running mm-hmm. or like or, oh yeah, like anything. They are just like if any sort of like needs to be physical happens, you would think they would mm-hmm. fall down. So they can't cook apparently. But also think about how many encounters with the upside down that every
0: other character had. I, I was literally your thought was leading me to my thought. Yeah, I was thinking. Hold on. You know, Will's managed to survive, and he's, what, maybe like an 11-year-old in the Upside Down for X amount of weeks by this point? Or days, I have no idea. And then Barb dies straight away? What? Can she not fight? She's one of the only characters
1: because you see straight away how big the danger is. The danger is that because you see yeah. it rip into Barb. You see that this monster yeah, yeah. is dangerous and she never stood a chance. However, <laughs> they're like, right, this is the level, this is the monster, you don't stand a chance. And yet, every other character, like, you know, so from the, the four kids, or the five kids, including Elle, and then, like, you know, the older generation, so Nancy, Jonathan, Steve, um, they all have multiple encounters. All of them have multiple encounters with with creatures from the upside down, with the lab, with with these oh, monsters, and they survive yeah. every time. Barb is, like, the only one, except another character we're going to
0: talk about, uh, the only Sarah. that
1: die on first time. And it's literally,
0: just- Sarah, I, as soon as you said that, I was like, but babe, it's not. And I'm <laughs> yeah. like, oh, and these two characters have something in common. Like, yeah. oh my God. Yeah. I mean, it's just, you know, when you lay it out like this, isn't it just so obvious? Yeah, is. Isn't it is. just so obvious why they choose these these characters? And even like, I mean, I, I, I this is no disrespect to Barb, because I actually love Barb's fashion sense, but you can tell it's meant to be frumpy. You yeah. know, it's meant to be a little bit, I don't know, again, no disrespect to my old ladies, but a little bit old lady. You oh, know, yeah. so it's not meant to be fashion
1: forward. The and I'm like, why? And the, be- and, the, and the giant glasses, the giant yeah there's
0: the yeah, I love that. head
1: to toe always in her that and I think Sharon Burser mm-hmm. has got a beautiful body she is like, yes, she that. rocks it she rocks everything mm. that she wears but again she's constantly covered from head to toe and then you have yes. teeny tiny Nancy like yeah. just like I am going to hike my skirt higher yay mm-hmm, I'm not mm-hmm. going to be here like god damn yeah. it. Like, yeah. it, it, it is so obvious because even when you like I'm not going to count it now but think about think about the, the ensembleness of the ensemble cast. There's mm-hmm. four boys and L, and then afterwards there's Max. So then there's there's mm-hmm. that. there's that the older siblings in the group, which is like another three or four. If you bring in like Robin from Scoop Troop, then that's another person. Mm-hmm. You have mm-hmm. all of the mums. You've got the little sisters as well. You've got Lucas's little mm-hmm. sister. Um, yeah. You've got the bullies. You've got the parents. Uh, you've got Hopper, Joyce, and then the kind of surrounding characters around that, around the lab as well. That is a huge returning cast like maybe what 40 strong
0: two mm, yeah possibly two, yeah. And all
1: of that too <laughs> <laughs> <Like, laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's ridiculous
0: I've, am i am i uh wrong in thinking in se- the season four when we get introduced to the new D club that's ran by whatever his name is oh eddie eddie yeah is, is there a big guy in that group that gets like
1: no lines I don't remember. Probably, actually, I'd like what well, just. I don't remember.
0: Like now, yeah, what I recently, I've got. I'm gonna have to like look up myself um, and probably like change this in editing to prove whether I'm right or wrong. But yeah, I, I have a feeling. And again, like, if knowing the tropes that we do, and the tropes are you know fat, nerdy, antisocial, and yeah. uh, introverted. Um, that's a D&D. They'd they be playing D&D, right? That's why all the other kids, all the other boys play D&D, because they're all a bit awkward and geeky and nerdy. Yeah. If you throw a fat guy in there, they're not going to look out of place. No, But exa- I'm wondering if there is one, but they haven't given the guy any lines. No actual story arc, and he's just there for furniture, you know?
1: I love it. Can you imagine? I mean, everyone went so mad for the character of Eddie. And again, um, I mean, I am, I am so... I I do love the whole thing of like you know look at this teen drama and everyone's
0: in their mid twenties, but this guy's <laughs> forty. I'm sorry. I, I I'm gonna get myself some haters, Sarah, because I really didn't get the Eddie love. No, me I, Oh thank God. Oh God, friends, it thank didn't. you. I don't know why I didn't get it. I didn't, and that's no disrespect to the actor, like you do. You get your bag, but the character. So I don't get why why everyone like loves him. <laughs> I just think like he's just another one. You like I was happy that they actually killed him off. Yes. Because the show, which again comes back to Barb again, has a really bad habit of killing people and then bringing them back, like immediately. Yeah. So as much as that really annoys me, that trope, and I'm annoyed they didn't do that for Barb. Yeah. Um, at the same time, I am happy. I really do hope Eddie stays dead and he doesn't come back in the next season. So I'm scared, again, going back to your saying that they're kind of led by the fans. They know there's been such a fan reaction to, to Eddie. Do they think, like, oh, well, we'll bank on that and bring, is it Adrian Quinn? Is that his name? Yes. Back. Yeah. I think
1: I think that I wouldn't. It would not surprise me, especially no. the kind of supernatural elements and stuff. Very much, it very much reminds me of like you know like a last season of Buffy, where like you have got the first mm. evil who can take place of en- who can take the form of anyone who's dead, and that was just a final mm. season gimmick to be able to bring back characters, yeah. like bring yeah. back the villains from before, and like you know give them a laugh yeah. and stuff. But it was very much it was very fan servicey. It was the last season mm. going for so long. It was a ham sandwich, and everybody loved mm. it but i'm just like (laughs) but when i think about eddie and i'm just like it was Mm. he's like oh yeah he's just like everyone thinks he's weird and no one really likes him and i'm like but the guy's buff as anything he's the guy's buff he's scary he's clad in leather and like he Mm. like runs and everyone thinks he's a low-key psycho and that he deals a little bit like all those Mm. things i'm like why isn't this guy a fat guy like that Mm. that that guitar if this was just this fat guy on top of a caravan playing the guitar it would have been Mm -hmm. an incredible like it would have had so much more i don't want to use the word weight but it would have it would have been to me i think not even just for like you know all representation i think it would have been so much more honest having this guy because again everyone's like everyone hates this psycho guy and i'm like i'm sorry he's too pretty for everyone to call him a psycho
0: yeah yeah far too pretty
1: yeah too pretty you you want someone that these jocks genuinely think like you know I can go after and I can kill this person. That's not mm-hmm. this guy. They they thought, they don't know that They can take this guy in a fight. Like I think he should have been this like all old, like older kind of like you know just like a bad fat sweaty stereotype that you actually mm. got to know in just the case if he's actually mm-hmm. a badass. That's what mm-hmm. I wanted to see, not like yeah. that. on well, the dangerous thirty year old playing a seventeen year old.
0: Absolutely. Um, so talking about the hashtag Justice for Barb, uh, you know, Shannon Pursers even said that, you know, she knows that Barb wasn't meant to be a big deal, you know, literally in for maybe one or two episodes of season one. And the Duffer brothers had, you know, they admit they didn't go into great detail about the character since since the focus was on finding Will. And again, you see that in the story, like there's a school assembly for like, you know, prayers for Will. And I'm like, where's the prayers for Barb? Fuck <laughs> Um, But, but uh, a lot of the fans spoke out, you know, saying like, hashtag justice for Barb. And Laura Bradley from Vanity Fair, she suggested that Barb would be a similar misfit in society and looks, and this is her quote, looks more like someone you might actually meet in real life compared to the other characters, particularly Nancy. I'm like, yes. Yeah. Yes, she does. She just looks like a normal person. She's someone you would know in your neighbourhood. She's someone you'd know in your class. Yeah. So much more approachable and relatable than your Hollywood starlets. Now, I get this is a drama and I get, like, you know, the whole point is this is, like, everyone looks elevated. You know, everyone looks, like I mean, of Ryder's in the cast, you know what I mean? Yeah. But there's it's frustrating when they're trying to force down this idea. Going back to the Eddie thing, they're trying to force relatability onto characters or people who who look like superstars. Yeah. There's only so far <laughs> that they can push that. Um anyway so yeah the hashtags uh, I'm with barb and justice for barb um and several sites and forums were created to support her like i can imagine the tumblers being yeah. all over barb you know and then uh, as you said earlier that fed into then the storyline for nancy going going into season 2 and beyond because that's how um it's not it's not directly but that's kind of how murray gets involved because yes. they they approach murray yeah on um helping with the conspiracy theory against you know the big bads, and yeah. uh, to, to get evidence for uh, Barb's family, so they could move on. Yeah, and that's how they
1: end up in some sort of Russian conspiracy, all because they had a character that far too far too early. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, is there anything else you want to talk about with Barb? Not just a case
1: of like it's a shame, and because I think yeah. that even Netflix, I kind of feel like Sharon Pur like it's funny because because Sharon Purser was so underrated. I genuinely mm. do think that it led directly into her being cast as the lead role in Sierra Burgess as a loser, which was meant to be which was meant to be like, you know, you wanted to see this person, this relatable person, this everyday person in a high school movie and stuff. And it was just the worst thing I've ever seen. And I'm like <laughs> it was just it was just I won't go I won't go into it. But again, it's mm. just it's very funny it reminds me of like you know when barbie came out mattel or like you know the the film critics were like oh my god we need to be making more films about toys for yes and everyone and people are like no you need to make more films by women for women that's kind of what i feel like it's a case of like oh you want you want barb here have have sierra burgess as a loser and i'm like i cannot begin to tell you how much that isn't what we wanted Yeah. yeah
0: so I guess I guess our lasting message then on Barbara and and Shannon Purser is uh cash and Purser and better stuff like we'd love to see more of her you know get her face on our screen absolutely like she has a character that lasts two episodes and look at the legacy she's left like it's it's unreal what an impact
1: exactly exactly that's like that's
0: that's goals oh literally literally all right let's move on to season two (laughs) Oh. <laughs> so we've done season one we're going to season two and we are introduced to a new character yes. he is Bob Newby played by the legendary Sean Astin and he is Joyce's, Joyce's love interest for this season, and we understand that Bob Newby, they knew each other at school but Bob was like, you know, part of like the geeky the geeky group, and he's actually the one who campaigned to star the AV club that the boys now love, and it's just like, oh I love that little connection, that's so cute um, but like, Joyce was like the popular one at school, so he, she didn't really notice Bob at school, and then you've also got Hopper who was also at school, with him, but he's a bit of a jock, so you've got that kind of still existing school dynamic between the three of them to a certain extent, especially between yeah. Hopper and Bob. Um, and Bob, he is the store manager of Radio Shack. He loves the technology. He's clearly got like a super um clever way of viewing the world and like viewing puzzles. He's a problem solver. He's clearly very intelligent. And he's also brave as fuck. Oh, brave. Oh, brave. So brave. And um, like, Unfortunately, to I don't even know what episode it is, but towards the end of the season, he is the one holding back like back the gates, trying to get everyone out of the Hawkins laboratory when there's these demi dogs running around. And as he makes his break for safety, a demi dog grabs him and then he just gets mauled to death while oh, Joyce oh. It, it, it is disgustingly violent while Joyce is screaming and Hopper is dragging her away. Bob Newby, superhero. Bob Newby, superhero. Superhero. Tell me your thoughts on Bob.
1: Okay, I love... I love Bob. I mean, I think again, this leans into like, you know, the things that I expected from myself growing up. I was such a Lord of the Rings girly like, growing up. Like, <gasps> I never sure. Read, I never read the, I never read the books. Like I really struggle with them. I'm dyslexic and I really struggle with Tolkien's writing, but my dad was such a mm-hmm. fan and it was almost like there was a disappointment that I couldn't read the books. He was kind of disappointed <sighs> in me. So we got to share oh God, the so the films. So sorry. We got to share the love of yeah. films with them.
0: But yes, I love her
1: that. I mean, the way I kind of talk about like, you know, like, um, when you're a girl when you fancy Legolas, and then you realize you're a woman when you realize it's Aragorn all along. <laughs> It's like, so true. I know, it's just very much just like, how do you separate
0: the boys from the men?
1: <laughs> um, I remember like, seeing, even when everyone in my school is like, oh my god, either in love with Legolas, and then we got to a certain point being like, so Legolas, that's Aragorn, we fancy. We've clearly just all mm-hmm. had an awakening of some sort. I remember being, being like, no, Sam's my ride or die. So mm-hmm. anything Sean Astin is in, I am obsessed with. So I yeah. love seeing him come there. It's really funny that you kind of said about the high school dynamic between them mm. because what I love about Bob is that he kind of has that high school like nervousness around joyce he goes i can't believe yeah. i get to kiss joyce i get to can't Yes. Move. i get to be with joyce as if he's undeserving of this woman who is a car crash he's like this woman is a car crash and he's the manager of a store so it's a case mm-hmm. of like i'm sorry you're the much more financially stable person however you think that you're undeserving but what mm-hmm. i love about bob is that we never get to see any sort of insecurity he has towards Hopper. You'd think you'd think this no. Hoppers around he'd start getting like you know possessive and something, but he's like, Jim, how are you? How can I help? Mm. Are you okay? But it's Hopper mm-hmm. that's being a bit yeah. bitchy. Hopper's like you know yeah. to Joyce like, how's things with Bob the Brain? And I'm like, yes. what, what a bullying thing? And Joyce is kind of like almost laughing, like, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, I know, I'm dating a geek now, and I'm just like, yeah, okay, you two are. This is. This is really crappy of the two of you, especially when Mm -hmm. all he does is support both of you, when he has no reason to historically. So I just Mm -hmm. think not only is he just a superhero, he's just such a nice guy and he's so supportive and he's like, and even when, even when Jonathan and Will are so tired of him because he's just so cringe, like, yeah, for the Halloween. Yes, like I hope it doesn't <laughs> suck. Oh, dress <Bristol, laughs> up, little angel. But at the same time, I know. It's really, like he's not phased by the two of them. He's not trying to like you know be this macho man and lay down boundaries. Mm-hmm. He's like, I'm here for you in whatever way that you want. And I think the boys who have had such an unstable upbringing like crave that mm-hmm. stability, and he's that for him. And I just loved seeing that. And I hate mm-hmm. that it was exploited.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, but yeah, no, Bob, ride or die.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I couldn't agree with you more. I think it's a really good, like some, like uh, summation of his character. Uh, he is a sweet baby angel, he is. and there's. There's a really, there's a really good scene, probably one of like Bob's standout scenes, where he's driving Will to school, I believe, and um, you know he, he 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 doesn't know everything. So this is the frustration thing about Bob, and I don't necessarily blame Joyce because I understand, but she keeps him in the dark about what happened to Will last year, mm-hmm. and so he his point of view is that Will's really struggling with nightmares. That's his point of view. So he's like, well, okay. Um, well I have experience because you know we're, we're all we've all had nightmares they're really scary so he thinks hey I, I'll just you know give Will a bit of a pep talk and he does that you know stand your ground tell them no more and because you know, he kind of gives his own um memory of a, a nightmare he had of a clown when he was younger very a la Pennywise and uh Will takes in you know Will is listening to him going like, yeah maybe i just need to stand my stand my ground against them the mind flare that's all i have to do but actually unbeknownst to bob it's the worst advice he could have given yeah. because it means that the mind flare then actually does possess will and then lead to the like kind of like the events of the last half of the season and and I wanted to get your thoughts over whether do you believe the writers hold Bob responsible for that bad advice, and therefore that's their reasoning for killing Bob as punishment?
1: I, I think they might. I think, mm. I think if he was someone that they wanted to stick around, mm-hmm. then they would have. Because it's Stranger Things. I mean, how many, how many like scenes have we got of beaten the? Had the crap bit out of him, Hopper doing the whole "I'm still getting up and standing." Like mm-hmm. I think that the writers, and I think like this isn't this is a broad brush to tar them, but it's just a case of the industry as well. We still really, really put a lot of um, a, a lot of faith in strength and the idea of strength. And again, Bob having a physical mm-hmm. ineptitude of being fat and liking board games, and his yeah. worth comes from his brain. And yeah. we value strength. We like mm-hmm. that Hopper is good with guns. We like that Hopper mm-hmm. can catch humans in the face like and, mm-hmm. and put his and cigarette out in their eye. like, And that's just something that we like. And which is really funny because there is an element of like, Stranger Things is meant to celebrate the outcast. It's meant to celebrate yes. the lead, celebrate the people who... Yeah. Find enjoyment out with that. Who find it in like you know things that are seen as as fringe and like you know D and D as much as D and D isn't fringe or anything. But in terms of
0: mainstream,
1: mm. especially from the eighties, like
0: mm-hmm.
1: like you've got like the they're definitely the kind of outcast characters. It's meant to yeah. celebrate that, which it does to an extent. To an yeah. extent, so it's meant to celebrate this cerebralness, but not only and the the nerds, but not if they're like actually geeks and cringy, because then we don't want anything to do with them. Um, so I th- I think that if they ever had plans for Bob to stick around, then they wouldn't have that wouldn't have been a storyline that existed. They wouldn't he wouldn't have put Will in danger. But to be fair, the amount of people that put Will in danger in this series, he's one of a long list. So.
0: Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. And going back to what you were saying about his like, you know, physical ineptitude using air quotes, uh, you know, you could argue if uh, Bob, you know, wasn't so fat, he could have ran quicker and got away from the dairy dogs, you know, like you could go down that rabbit hole to blame his, his uh, body size on like, on his death, or he could have, you know, like you say, fought them off more, just, you know, outran them somehow. Oh, yeah, that's and, absolutely what's insinuated. That's 100% yeah. what's insinuated. That's yeah. so dark. But I do... Like, and and al- yeah. also, just can, to that point up until that point he has done the most you know he's the one who's gone down into the basement put the coding in because he's the only one who knows how to do it because he's the smartest he's in in the in the sphere like he's the only one who knows the code in order to like reboot the system in order to get everyone out of the out of the building and he's done that to for like you know however many people are in that building at that point and he's the last one standing and he still gets killed he is he's the first one to volunteer as well yeah yeah he's, he, he's so brave so brave um I also just want to come back to the relationship mm. because I remember when I when I first watched the season I see that uh there's that scene where Joyce is at the like I don't know it's maybe like I guess like a dollar tree or something like that and he comes and he's asking for I don't know what color it is but like the little trick-or-treat oh, uh, yeah. jack-o'-lantern things he's like, like oh maybe some in the back and they go out the back and they ha- they're having a, like a make out session, and Bob literally says, "I feel like a teenager." going back to what you're saying about this, he doesn't feel worthy to be like making out with the Joyce yeah. you know Joyce is on this pedestal for Bob because of the social value she had or held at, at, in high school. you know to your point whether she still holds that now, yeah, I mean, I think that's up for discussion." But Bob still views her at that level. And I remember thinking, But Endgame is meant to be Joyce and Hopper now, so this is just a stopgap. Yep. I remember thinking that and I was like, oh, okay, so like we've just got to like, you know, deal with this this rom- r- romantic connection—I um, di- obviously didn't know how it was going to end at that time. But I remember thinking, we're not meant to take this seriously. We're not meant to get too involved, here, because we—we all know. We all know Miss Joyce and Hopper.
1: Yeah, okay. but also we all know that Joyce isn't getting with a fat man. I'm sorry, but like yeah. we know that, we know that when she starts making out with Sean Astin, we know it's doomed from the start because that's yes. Missing. Even if Hopper wasn't, at, we know that yeah. Joyce. Yeah, like, is we on un- we understand because we understand media. We understand mm-hmm. we understand mm-hmm. that Barb was like a a, sim- a symbol of Nancy's geek life when she wants to be mm-hmm. cool. We mm-hmm. understand mm-hmm. that that is that is a physical uh, like symbol of that. We understand mm-hmm. what Bob represents, and it's not end game for Joyce, which is really no. annoying because mm-hmm. I kind of feel that Joyce. Like as much as as much as Bob is clearly invested in Joyce, in her kids, in her life, in the relationship that they have together, in being happy with them, Joyce isn't ever seen to be invested in him. She likes yeah, the easy definitely. she likes the stability. She likes cuddles <laughs> and kisses <laughs> and things. Yeah. And it's a case of but even then, even though she's making out with him a cupboard, there's this weird feeling of sexlessness to it Mm, which I'm mm -hmm. just like what 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 are you doing like what, what what are you doing what like what do you actually want from him because she just i think she just she's had a really really hard time and she needs things not to be hard anymore and she has someone who is stable and kind and dependable and puts her on a pedestal so is safe hands she's safe hands Mm. i'm pretty sure that if anything ever did get super serious she'd be out the door in the second because she didn't want that in the first place well well, we know because he
0: he suggests why don't they move yeah why don't they move to his hometown yeah and she says no yeah, I totally forgot about that. But that makes mm-hmm. that
1: makes no sense. He's just like, yeah, if we moved somewhere, then we would just be a couple. There wouldn't be all of our history hanging around her yeah. neck. But no, the history around her neck is what separates the two
0: of them. And she needs that. Mm. And mm-hmm. no, bad Joyce, bad Joyce. <laughs> bad Joyce, 100%. And also to compare uh, Bob and Hopper as love interests for Joyce, you know, you mentioned uh how how good he is with the boys you know how he isn't trying to be a father figure he's like more like a friend but also not like a close friend he's just he's just an adult who is there if they need if they need him which is like you know probably the healthiest yeah. position he could take for himself in his family so dynamic healthy so healthy yes yeah, so- it's so but he's also bob is incredibly emotionally intelligent Mm -hmm. you know this is why he can read that something's wrong this is why like and again going back to the whole joyce not telling him thing i think uh, about will's history last year um that in itself that's like well you're not part of this club like this is like an arm i'm keeping your arms length. everyone else (laughs) in this show can know what happened to will last year but you my new love interest cannot and i think that's a that's a Really telling decision from Joyce. Oh,
1: absolutely. And then I, I, yeah. again, like when that happens and stuff, it just shows that it doesn't face him for a second. She's like, Oh, well sick. <sighs> so he turns up and he's like, I've got board games because that's always made me yes! sick. I know. Because, he's, because he's considerate, he's kind, and he knows exactly what he's doing. And then mm-hmm. when she's like, Oh, no, you can't come in, he doesn't for a second go. Joyce, you have to let me in. Joyce, you need to Mm -hmm. let me help. Joyce, you need to do that. Not at all. he goes, Mm -hmm. okay, that is absolutely fine and is not phased in the slightest because he is a healthy adult. And it's only when Mm -hmm. he's walking away being like, ah, obviously, if I can help you, just let me know. They don't call me Bob the Brain for nothing. And that's when Joyce lets him in on the secret, when there's something that he has to offer her out with Mm. himself again feeding back to me saying that I felt that I had to be funny in order to serve myself yeah Bob has to be smart the only way Bob can contribute to this group is by being smarter than everyone else otherwise there's no
0: place for him and it really bothers me oh my god it's such a good point bringing back to this idea that fat people plus size characters are have to provide a service That's the only way that they can prove their value provide their value to the thin main characters of the story oh god it's just it's so frustrating because again to your point you mentioned earlier which was so well made and so eloquent this is a show that's meant to celebrate those on the edge of like, society or, like, you know, culture, right? Yeah. Those that have been othered because they like D&D. Uh, Will, like, you know, Will's obviously coded queer, and yeah. he feels very othered for that. Like, like all of these things, I'm like, oh, yeah, great, great, great. Grand, grand for that, do that. You know, you've got Hopper, when we first introduced him, he's, like, you know, completely riddled with grief. I'm like, yeah, show that representation all day long, show it. But then when they get to their fat characters, they are so disrespectful yeah it is and i i, I don't know whether <laughs> i'm finding this conversation cathartic Sarah, or if i'm just getting more and more frustrated so i'm just like ah! you're, just, you're, rage. You're, just, with the, you're with a rage factor. yeah but going back to the emotional intelligence thing i just really want to compare bob and hopper so we have like say. Bob, incredibly emotionally intelligent, understands where he is with the kids. And then Hopper, especially in season three, like they completely butcher this man's character in season three, becomes this really possessive um, like toddler throwing his toys at the pram and Joyce is, doesn't seem to reciprocate his romantic feelings. But then we also have that storyline where he cannot communicate with Eleven. And so he needs a woman to hold his hands about emotions. And I'm just like, how on earth, or, you know, going back to this idea, we know Joyce and Hopper are meant to be Endgame. But how can they be when you've just showed us Bob, who's clear clearly, by all accounts, apart from physical, is a better man? Yeah, exactly. that's it. And I think I
1: think there's an element of this is diff- this is difficult because we're talking so much about how Bob is a great character and he is better mm. and stuff, and I think there is still an, I guess, an underlying thing that that's not interesting to us. We're not interested Mm. because the thing is Joyce damaged, Hopper damaged, but they're damaged Mm -hmm. fits. Like they, in the way that, in the way that Joyce is too over emotional and can't communicate with her boys, she has someone who is less emotional and knows how to speak man. And then you have Eleven who is an absolute hellfire teenage girl and mm-hmm. doesn't has never been raised in a kind of thing of like, you know, boundaries of parents and things. So she's, she, see, she sees her and herself as Hopper as not a father-daughter relationship. In fact, it kind of changes in his absence. She kind of like starts to be like, oh, my dad's not here anymore. And like, yeah. but at the same time, I'm like, but that wasn't what their relationship started out like season two, which I think yeah. at the strongest, they were equals and friends. And I mm-hmm. think that, he was letting like there was an element of like, you know, them seeing each other for the people that they were and then finding mm-hmm. that family connection together that's mm-hmm. kind of just fallen into a less interesting father-daughter relationship for me. Anyway, I'm getting sidetracked. But what I'm No, getting, no, no, it's all valid. But but what I kind of feel is that we know that their end game, even though they they are the worst <laughs> because they are the worst, their damage doesn't look like that. We're not interested in Joyce getting healthy. We're not interested in Joyce being whole. We're looking for people who are worn, torn together, who have been through it with their kids. Mm. We're just looking for people that we understand that when the thing ends eventually at the end of season five or whatever is coming out, like when that comes out, we understand that they're
0: going to end and need therapy. That's oh. what we want. <laughs> Well, you know, in the 80s therapy wasn't that common or not that popular, so they'll struggle. They'll struggle, I think, to, to actually will. take that step. No, that's such a good point. You, the phrase you use, how their damage fits, yeah. is really interesting. And as well, the the fact they're both, quote-unquote, families where Bob clearly isn't a family man. He doesn't seem to have children of his own. Yeah. um, again, again, implying a bit of a, you know, nerdy virgin yeah, because obviously, I know. yeah, it's, it's nasty. Because he's because it's fucking Sean Aston, you know. <laughs> Sean Aston, like I can get tail if he wants. God damn, please, please get over yourselves. Show. <laughs> I know. I know. Um. Okay. Is there anything else you wanted to mention about Bob? Just that I miss him. <laughs> that you miss him. Forever in our hearts. Like Bob a, and Barb. The double Bs. Forever in our hearts. Forever in our hearts. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, this goes in to our third character and possibly the most we have to speak about because he is a staple, part of this cast. We're going to talk about Hopper, played by David Harbar I love him. <laughs> I love <laughs> straight him. Straight away, I, I love <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm. I'm gonna try and go through a really rough whistle stop tour of his character. Oh, so much. he, we, thank you so much. <laughs> Watch the space. So he is the sheriff of Hawkins. Uh, he is a drunk. He's a smoker. He's you know got you know a bit of a dad bod. I would say. I wouldn't necessarily call him fat. I would just call him. He just seems to be a bit chunky. <laughs> like, but thick that fantastic word yes thick um but like definitely gives off this idea that he's not looking after himself right because we find out he's riddled with grief because his child died of cancer some point in the past anyway he gets involved because he's a part of the rescue team who rescues Will from the upside down and he has all these flashbacks of his child and we get to understand why hopper is so angry and so disengaged with his work all makes sense at the end of season 1 Uh, We see that after Eleven disappeared into the Upside Down, someone's leaving Eggo waffles out in the woods for someone. Oh, it's Hopper. Hopper's been, like, leaving out waffles for Eleven. And now they've, like you mentioned, have now developed this, like, friendship. Uh, But he doesn't want Eleven to go outside because he thinks the the men in suits will take her away, which is not a ridiculous idea. Um, and she only eats Diego the waffles. Then, what happens in the season two with those guys? I actually have no idea. Elle goes off on her little journey
1: to discover her sister or other people who escaped the yes. thing, and then eight, get, yeah, and then he gets back. So Hopper and Elle are away for away from each other because Hopper spends most of his time stuck in the lab, stuck in the lab,
0: <sighs> and all that happens while Eleven is away. While Eleven's away, okay, fantastic. Is the end of season two the snowball? Yes. Okay, so we have the snowball, and that's all very cute. Then we go into season three. That's where the kind of really strong father-daughter vibe's coming in. You've got Eleven. Uh, Is that right? Am I getting confused now? This is no, where no, you're in season three, season four. It's when Ellen yes, uh, yes. Elle and Will are together. So Ellen Mike. Ellen Mike are it, together. Well, Will. yeah. That's it. And they're doing the whole teenage thing where they're like, you know, they're kissing, but then when the parents walk in, they're not, they're just reading, you know, books on the other side of the room. We've all done it. We've all been there. Hopper's like, you can't have this door open more than X amount of inches. But anyway, he gets really frustrated because Eleven's, you know, being a teenage girl, she's rebelling. And Joyce has to be like, you know, maybe you should just write a letter to Elle explain your feelings. And then Mike is also being a bit of like a twat because he's also like 13, 14 years old boy and he's horny as hell. Oh, right. um, so you've got this dynamic going on between like Hopper being like, that's my daughter. And Mike being like, that's my girlfriend. So that's really annoying. Um, Then eventually the, <laughs> Joyce and Hopper are meant to go to date, but Joyce stands him up because she's more interested in these uh, magnets or demagnetizing and he gets really offended. And then when she wants to go be with Murray and... Alexei the Russian guy that they've got yes. he gets really jealous about that and it's like for fuck's sake Hopper get the fuck over yourself um and then eventually they infiltrate the Russian base under the mall and they have the big I don't know whatever it's called a big Hadron Collider where they're trying to open up the upside down and they realize oh they need uh, someone needs to go and touch it by the thing and Hopper goes and he gets beaten up and then Joyce has to turn it on and then Hopper disappears and I was like, oh, no, they've actually killed Hopper. That's actually quite dramatic. And then we get this letter that he leaves for Elle, and Elle reads it, and it's actually really lovely. But then it turns out at the end of that season that Hopper isn't dead. He's actually just been transported to Russia, which I just think is shit. But anyway, yep. Um, we get to season four. We see Hopper, and he has lost a considerable amount of weight. You know why? Because he's in a Russian gulag. They are not well known for keeping their prisoners well fed. He then has to fight his way out of the Russian gulag. He makes, he makes a friend with one of the guards called Enzo, who I did really fancy. Yes. And, and uh, they get caught. There's like double crossing going on. Then they have to fight the Gorgon During all this time, Joyce and Murray have flown to Russia to save them. They're all stuck in the Russian gulag fighting off the Gorgon, And they manage to get out of it. And then at some point, they, ha- they happen to get back to the States. And then they run into the kids. And Hopper has his reunion with Elle and that's really nice and romantic but of course his weight gets brought up time and time again throughout this reunion and then the season ends <laughs> sorry listeners, that's, that was a lot that was a lot to go through season, four seasons of this man's character arc but let's get into it, so you you mentioned at the very beginning you like Hopper, you love this man I love a damaged dad <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, this is Sarah's type Damaged dad. Yeah,
1: oh god, yeah. <laughs> Like I'm just like I'm, saying, I'm, I'm not saying it's right. <laughs> like, I'd rather I I know that this this love of yep. Hopper is Own really it. wrong. I don't mm-hmm. care. Um nope. but yeah, like I thought that Hopper was a great character, but I kind of feel that I feel I feel bad because David Arbor is such an incredible actor. He's so yeah. he's he's one of these people that can masterfully walk the line between comedy and drama. And what makes Hopper such a strong character is how much how funny he is as well. How he can mm-hmm. turn on like you know the American Dad and like you know mm. the sarcastic police chief and the the guy in the Hawaiian shirt with an incredible mustache. Yes.
0: Like he can be. I love the Hawaiian shirt. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah, it's such a good
1: looks but sometimes i kind of feel that for the sake of action they sacrifice some really interesting things so when he's riddled with grief mm. that's obviously really mm. tragic and we find out that his child um his child died of cancer when she was mm-hmm. 10 and um, mm-hmm. um his wife and their ma- and his marriage didn't survive afterwards and she's away and she's married to someone else just now but mm-hmm. one thing that i think was totally underplayed there was a huge revelation that came up and was never done again where and it was in the russian gulag where he says that mm-hmm. where he talks about his time like in the service that that hopper was at one point in the service or something right. and took part in, uh, in in something that exposed him to radiation. So it turns out that his daughter's cancer is his fault. So he was exposed to radiation. He was dealing with things away while he was on tour. And then he came back and exposed his family to it. And he said that loads of other people in his unit got cancer or got sick or their families got sick. And then it was already too late. And the thing is... Yeah. That that got mentioned once and I'm like, this is so juicy and it never gets brought up again. Never gets brought up again. And I'm like, this is such an incredible revelation the idea that copper has been carrying around that he gave his child cancer because of his decisions yeah. and mm-hmm. she's the one who suffered and died as opposed to him mm-hmm. and that's why he's been suffering so much so it's the fact that his decisions his decisions affect his children which causes mm-hmm. so much extra guilt with the fact that he's in a gulag and he doesn't know what's happened to l so it's a case of mm-hmm. his decisions has led to like his children potentially suffering and it's such mm-hmm. rich territory but in instead of actually exploring it, we're like, oh, we're battering the demigorgon Let's be, let's do like a Stranger Things does Gladiator in terms of putting him out, putting him in the ring and then releasing the mm-hmm. demigorgon and he has to like, you know, pick up a pitchfork and fight for his supper and all that. And I'm just like, <laughs> I'm just like, it's dramatic, but I'm mm. bored. But mm. this is one thing that I find really funny and I just don't think, I just don't think they've figured out how to do it correctly because the thing is, in order for children to get up to shenanigans the first rule of any sort of children's literature is get rid of the parents it's why lots of Mm -hmm. school thing school things take place at school or boarding school harry potter's boarding school there's no parents there Mm -hmm. so they can get up to shenanigans and um that's why Stranger Things 1 worked because Elle didn't have any parents and the boys were are at that age where they are constantly on their bikes at yeah. each other's houses. You don't know where your kids are. So the kids could mm-hmm. disappear for days and they could call home and say, I'm staying at Lucas's, I'm staying at Mikey's, I'm staying somewhere else. And you just would not question it because that's just how things are. Like it was very mm-hmm. much like the idyllic, the idyllic suburban 80s where you left your doors unlocked but you weren't really afraid mm-hmm. of crime or anything. So that's, so the absence of adults was Mm -hmm. great what leads to opportunities for the kids to get into the story however as we've gone through the series we've got way more invested in the adult characters and the ideal of the ensemble so what they have to do every single season is find some sort Mm -hmm. of plot device to get the adults away and then bring them back at the end so yeah was in season three in season two Elle was off on her own journey, so it wasn't the adults that left, it was Elle, and then everyone else, like, you know, was take was in the lab. So that actually worked. Although wasn't it was um scoop Troop. So then you had like Steve and Robin and Lucas's sister and mm-hmm. um uh, Dustin, just and Dustin like off in their own regroup, and this is what I thought really loved about season two. I thought it was masterful in the way that mm-hmm. they had all these different ensemble casts doing something in a bigger plot that just naturally mm-hmm. came together all at the end for the finale, which was brilliant. Mm-hmm. But they just—it's mm-hmm. really hard to replicate that. That's a really difficult mm-hmm. thing to do, plot device. So then they're just like send Hopper to Russia. I was like, that is yeah. such a cop out, and then it means that Sin yeah. Murray spends episodes
0: trying to get on plane and like can we just point out the character flaw in that because are you telling me joyce is going to leave her sons and her adopted daughter who she knows the government are out to get on their own in a new town yeah yeah it doesn't make no
1: sense and she's like, oh, because I'm no. going to get Hopper. And I'm just like, I'm sorry, Joyce. One thing that I will say about Joyce is she is determined. But what mm. I believe is strong point of her character is that she's so determined. And in season one, she's like, I know that you think you look at me and you think that I am a car crash and I am lazy and I am I'm just a mess. However, Mm -hmm. I'm gonna stick to my guns here, even though Mm -hmm. she knew it was right. She knew how she was perceived and she knew what her limits were, but she didn't let them stop her from like, you know, actively pursuing her son. That worked in her favor. However, Mm -hmm. in order for Joyce to go from like, I know my son is lost and he is trying to contact me and something weird is going on here, to go from that to being like, like, my boyfriend or, like, you know, my friend is in a Russian gulag and I'm going to commandeer a plane with a guy who speaks basic Russian to go and get him back myself. I'm like, that's a ju- that's jumping the shark a
0: bit. Yeah. No, it it really is jumping the shark a bit. Like, I was, like, I was really shocked by the Russian storyline. It just didn't make sense. The only character I actually believed during it, that whole thing was Murray. I totally saw that from Murray. I get that, because he, he is that kind of character where we don't know a lot about him. Yeah. He's eccentric. I can imagine him doing this. But for, for like, even, like, Hopper, like, I understand him working with Enzo to to get out. That, make that tracks yeah. for me. But what didn't track for me was him sending a letter to... Joyce to let him know that he was still alive like no he he wouldn't put Joyce in that danger because he wouldn't wouldn't want to put Eleven in that danger going back to what you were saying I mean I completely 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 had forgotten about this extra level of grief and guilt he felt towards his child yes. which makes so much sense about then why he's so overprotective over 11 because it's like a second chance right so you're telling me that this man who has a second chance where he doesn't you know his decisions are going to impact a child I'm going to do it right this time would then send a coded letter to a random woman in California to say by the way the Russians have got me and by the way I know you've got my child so like you know keep her safe in makes no sense it makes no sense
1: no it's just it's it's so weird I think it's just <laughs> again I think it's being fan-led I think it's growing at a rapid rate because it's so <laughs> popular which is amazing yeah I mean, it's a problem of success and don't we all wish we had them right so it's <laughs> it's growing at such a rapid thing but however if you have if you can't tell your essential story well then what are you doing? Mm. So it's yeah. just a little bit like, I think Hopper was wasted. And also the opportunity to bench Hopper for half a season, if not an entire season, in order to do a weight loss story and get him like, you know, super have this like, you know, really haunting traumatic thing happen to him. It just doesn't fit in the language of the show. It's just mm. it's the whole, like the whole charm of it is meant to be like, you know, harking back to this, like, you know, horror in small town, Suburbia and to mm-hmm. then turn into being like we're actually going to a Russian prison it's international it just doesn't it just doesn't track it's just a case of like mm-hmm. it's it's kind of it's what happens with every sci fi sequel if you have a sci fi mm-hmm. that works in the next one, the only way you can bring it up is to get the government involved, which I kind mm-hmm. of think at the start was a choice. Like, uh oh, mm. we're going to do that thing, we' get the government involved, yeah, like you know, the nostalgia, we are bringing it back, and then they lost control of it, and now it's the only way they can actually make their story make sense, which
0: is, yeah, and yeah, it it is sad. um, I'd love to just talk about uh the the fan reaction to Hopper, so I think, and I wonder if you agree that like David Harbor is the breakout star of this show. More so than the kids, more so than any of the other adult actors. I think I didn't know David Harbour before this show. Yeah. Um. I I I think he's in like I think I saw him in The Equalizer, but I have no idea where that lies in his in his filmography. But like he wasn't a star and he comes into this against Winona Ryder you know and I appreciate even that even casting Winona Ryder is such a nostalgic choice because we all know we all know Winona from the 80s from the 90s you know she is our gothic gal yeah so I I love that I think it's such a fantastically smart decision to cast Winona but we hadn't seen her in much recently up until this point you know she really had um fallen out of vogue and then, you know, with the rise in nostalgia, as you were saying, she comes back into it. And you see, they've they've made the same casting choices um, for the show Yellow Jackets. Yeah. You know, you have uh, Christina Ricci and Juliette Lewis, yeah. who are, again, it's- real big stars from the 80s and 90s, yep. coming into a show which takes place half in the 90s. Like, it's a really smart casting decision to remind us of the nostalgia of then. I love it. I think it's super clever. But with David Harbour, I don't know, Did you had you known him before Stranger Things?
1: I actually, yes, but I don't know where from. Mm. And I'm racking my brain. I'm like, I don't know where from. I knew that also (laughs) he was married to Lily Allen. But yeah, still is.
0: Yeah, so he's not in loads. Like he's in WE in 2011. He's in the Green Hornet. I have no idea how big he is in these roles, revolutionary roles. He's in Quantum of Solace. Like, he is in stuff. Oh, he's in Brokeback Mountain. He cannot be that old in Brokeback Mountain. War of the Worlds. Uh, That's 2005 time. But going up to, like, The Equalizer, which I knew him from, that's 2014. And then we go in to he's in ten episode of the newsroom, which I guess was quite a popular show.
1: I remember him for that'll be who it is. It'll be the newsroom. So I'm such an Aaron fan, so I like follow. There him. you are. I will. I followed the West Wing religiously, so I know more there about American politics than UK politics because of <laughs> the and the newsroom that's was it. was the next series after after um, yeah. first working. So that's where I know him. So I'm like again, it's just that what he's in one thing that I've seen. I'm like, no, he's a You're massive not, star. You
0: knew it. Yeah. <laughs> he's in he's in black mass in 2015 and then uh, then in suicide squad in 2016 but that is the year that strange things came out and then yeah then he's like he's exploded right so you've got like hellboy like we mentioned that's 2019 uh that's he is in... I really fancied hellboy yeah it's a very good choice. Hi. Hi. Ron
1: Perlman in the the original yeah. hellboy oh works for me <laughs>
0: Yeah. no I, I i love i really enjoy the original hellboys i think they're really, really good yeah, they really so fun action films funky and really yeah and off. really camp oh yeah god, totally. just... yeah um <laughs> uh, yeah extraction black widow so he's now in like the marvel universe violent christmas we have a ghost grant grant heresma so he's, he is like he's making money the man's making money yeah um but yeah i remember the the reaction of like oh my god like you say like what a hot guy! Damaged dad, love this vibe. Yes, and uh, I, you know, there's been fan edits. If you like, go on TikTok or Instagram. People like doing like little fan edits and reels of David Harbour like walking in his sheriff's outfit. You know, dad bod goals. All of this. I need this. <laughs> <laughs> you need to get your algorithm working for you, right? <laughs> like
1: I quite liked David Harbour in the in in the the jaded police chief again it was a nostalgic choice we've seen it a million times before the the alcoholic like you know someone <laughs> yeah. to be like a someone that used to be like a detective like high up in the force but seen too much and has had to take a take a residency in a small town we've seen it a million times before like it's twin peaks like we've seen it so it's really yes. it's really it was really familiar and nostalgic and i thought when seeing some someone do a role that's been done a million times before, I think it's really difficult to bring, like, uh, even like you know the tragic backstory. The tragic backstory is a trope as well. So to see someone mm. do something that has been seen so many times before and give it nuance, like I I thought you yeah. did a really great job. But I'm just trying to think about the dad bod, just kind of in particular. I think it makes sense. Again, we want mm-hmm. this. We want this to be rooted and like you know everyone wants to feel like the girl next door you want to be like you know welcome, mm. to, welcome to Hawkins the safest the safest town in America and mm-hmm. so you want everyone to be really comforting and really and really familiar and stuff and I thought it was great that he kind of had a bit of a dad bod for it because mm. even though we've seen mm-hmm. it before he's not like you know, this hardened like you know guy causing bar fights mm-hmm. or anything He's too, he's too messed up for that So I think it really worked well in his favour. But also, like, he's not, it's in the same way that, you know, sometimes you see teen shows with people in their mid-20s and then you have the opposite you have Grey's Anatomy where you have I'm I'm the new head of cardiothoracic surgery and they're like <laughs> 23 and you're like are you? yeah. like I might have skipped third grade and you're like <laughs> 10 years mate that's it. <laughs> to have these like young sexy people playing like you know um they est- like established people like they established um Authors or owners of uh, higher ups or things, so to see a police chief that's like the correct age, the correct yes, the, the correct age, the correct like you know background, the correct body yeah. type, like the one that you're like mm-hmm. this all makes sense for the character was really refreshing, and I just think that. Yeah people fancying Hopper didn't have anything to do with his body. I think it's just because he was such a good actor and it was such a warm character and he did it so much justice, um, mm-hmm. which is why I'm all the more mad that they made him lose weight. Like, I'm all the more well,
0: mad. Yeah, 100%. So let's let's talk about it. Let's talk about the elephant in the room. So I mentioned he, he gets to the Russian gulag and, you know, our first shot, you know, there's a... A group of prisoners and they're all seem to be uh working on this railroad, and the camera pans, and then all of a sudden, like this head pops up, and we see a very slimmed down hopper. And obviously, like the show is trying to convey that time has passed. Time has passed, he's clearly a prisoner, he's clearly not being fed appropriately, therefore he has lost weight. Yes. Right? Totally, I totally understand the visual storytelling happening. Yeah. But that is not how the audience have taken it from my, from how I viewed and what I have listened to, Sarah, has really disturbed me when it's come to Hopper storyline. So I saw it on social media. I saw it in tweets. I saw it, I heard it on a podcast, a very popular British podcast where he spoke about stranger things. And I heard one of the guests say, God doesn't David Harbour look great? Oh, you know we—I could do with some time in the Russian Gulag. Oh yeah, oh that, I literally oh. heard that phrase and I saw and I saw it in tweets and I was just like, whoa, 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 <laughs> that is not what you are meant to take away from us. This. this character has been starved. I appreciate. I appreciate. I have no idea how David Harbour lost weight. I don't need to know. But the character, the visual storytelling is that this man has been tortured and beaten and starved. It is not meant to be aspirational. And yet, because we are so sick when it comes to diet culture, we always view weight loss as positive. Oh, yeah. Even when the media... Is telling you this isn't meant to be positive, babe. <laughs> people are still taking it as positive, and I, I couldn't believe my ears when I heard what people were saying. That's so gross. That's so
1: disgusting. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's meant to be. It's meant to be a a side effect of torture. That's the way yes. it was is a side effect of torture. I always mm-hmm. think that there are multiple ways to show that this is there. For example they could have given him a beard. He could have been told to grow. Mm, oh, yeah. Another way of passage of time didn't require, like, you know, weight loss or anything. Whatever. But, again, to be fair, I'm still kind of like, you know, the Russian storyline didn't really make sense to me anyway. If it was mm. a case of, like, going... Also, it would have made sense if it's a case of going rot and he's just like, what am I meant to do here? That would also make sense, but no, He's out fighting monsters uh, for for um like you know making people money who are betting on him and he's working on railroads and all that kind of stuff and i'm like right whatever sure if, wh- why not but but yeah just like the idea that people took that as a positive because again Mm -hmm. I think it also feeds into this idea that if you want to if you choose to lose weight you just can like it's just a yes and I'm like it's just a choice David Arbour is a very very well-paid person that has been asked to Uh for his role lose weight that's for Mm -hmm. his job like I mean all Actors, like when I say all actors, I'm going to say all able bodied actors because it's a completely different Mm. name for disabled actors. But all able bodied Mm. actors, when they show up to do it, that is actually what they're doing. Their body, their emotion, their experience, and their craft is how they provide their service and earn their money. So if they're asked to do something, play this character, then that's what they have to do and they work that out as well. David Arbour will probably have been paid to lose weight and it would have covered his nutritionist, his personal trainer, and he wouldn't Mm -hmm. have been working. During the time, because he's so well paid that he wouldn't have had a nine to five, he wouldn't have had any mm-hmm. job to so be like. I have this six month period where my only goal is to lose this weight in a healthy way. Mm-hmm. In a way, and we just don't have that; those kind of means. It is not a choice. It is a cultivated plan that the uber wealthy can afford. So mm-hmm. I think that it is just the to be so glib about it mm-hmm. is just just you you. I've never heard it described as sick before, but it is the Mm. best word I've ever heard. It just shows how sick we are. So that's the thought that comes into your head.
0: Yeah, I I I mean I think it's I think it it is like to to not <laughs> to not read the room, you know. And like you say like I mean that is one of the biggest lies that diet culture and the media like to perpetuate is this idea that um staying fat or gaining weight is a choice yep. and therefore we're making the wrong choice, right? It's and the therefore we choice. deserve yeah. Therefore, we deserve all of the hardships, or the exclusivity, or the othering that befalls uh, bigger people or marginalised bodies, and uh, and therefore, in in Hopper's case, what's interesting is you know the show the show has made it clear like this is what's happened. However, in the same breath, it's gone how no matter how malnourished. Uh, Hopper is, no matter how tired he must be from slaving away, literally, on these railroads while being fed nothing, uh, while being tortured, he can still defeat a demigorgon when everyone else fails. Yeah, yeah. And like, I mean, going back to Bob Newby's superhero, like, seriously, Hopper is a superhero if this is what, if this is how he's managed to like survive this long. He is not, he is not a healthy man and yet he still manages to survive. And then we get the scene where he they get to like the safe house that yeah. the kind of fixer fixer owns all well, the American stuff, and that's when he like takes off his jumpsuit or whatever he's wearing at that time, and and we get to see that he's got all this bruising and scars over his body, and we get to see how much he has shrank. Like this yeah. this man is incredibly incredibly thin at this point. And I think, and I might be wrong, you might be able to correct me, this is when Joyce and Hopper kiss. It is, it is, you're right.
1: It's, we see Joyce, when we see what has happened to his body, we are seeing Mm -hmm. it at the same time that Joyce sees it. So Mm -hmm. it's difficult because obviously, like, you know, it's a visual medium we're being fed we're being made to feel things and that's what the creators are trying to do so we're not seeing it from hopper's point of view we're not i think it would have been so much more powerful if hopper saw himself in the mirror for the first Mm. time can you imagine how that scene would be if he saw his own body but no the first time we see this body is through joyce's lens so it's through a lens of desire Mm -hmm. so we see hopper's body and see joyce react in a yearning way of, of of pain for the pain that he's gone okay. through, but also in, like, you know, your body is still here, you're still alive, so it's all through this, like, you know, yearning and appreciation when it should have been through absolute horror because that's that She goes and wants to touch him to be like, what happened to you? But then they share a kiss and it becomes this romantic movement and I'm like, mm-hmm. nah, <laughs> nope, not, yeah. it just, it just, like, like i get like i get it like i i get like i get it i i, I get it mm-hmm. i mean i'm i am i am shipping Joyce and Hopper as much as mm-hmm. the next person i love i love the two of them together i think they're a they're they're a screwball comedy they are Kermit and miss Peggy, but like hoppers <laughs> miss Peggy and mm. <laughs> and uh Joyce's Kermit. and i i love the two of them together. But, at the same time, like Joyce has been yearning for him for a long time, and like you know wanting his safety and thinking he's dead or not quite believing that he's that he's dead and then is having to process all those emotions, but then she's mm-hmm. gone through like an episode and a half with him, but it's when he takes his shirt off and she sees his bruised body, that's when she makes a move, she doesn't like you know go and try to hold him like immediately, and stuff. oh yes, yeah. it's just it's yeah uh oh, it's 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 so hard because again we don't... That's only for Hopper. Like, we don't get that because when Hopper first sees Joyce, it's when she's in, like, she's all kitted out in the gear and stuff, so she doesn't look like... She, she's not mm-hmm. taking her clothes off and we're seeing it through a desire no. she's 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 battered to crap from like you know being in a plane crash It's up literally the world, the world still goes slow motion and we still have like you know the steam from a burst pipe and the world slows mm-hmm. as the two of them see each other and like and and that's this really powerful moment but that's Hopper seeing Joyce for the first time that's him mm-hmm. seeing her and she's like this vision of hope that's come, on, come in from the yeah. cold but when Joyce mm-hmm. sees Hopper her, which is like an, an episode later that's when she sees her moment of desire it's not as mm-hmm. relief when she sees him alive in the prison but it's desire when he takes his clothes off and we see his body has changed and it's i don't know there's just it's difficult it's really hard to like put my finger on it because i don't think any of these mm-hmm. decisions are are conscious or malicious but there's still mm-hmm. something that's profoundly uncomfortable about them
0: so I actually do think they're purposeful and the reason why I say that uh is the last episode the reunion with the kids. So you have Eleven back in back in the cabin in the woods and she's kind of reminiscing of her old life and um, reminiscing about her family connection, her fatherly connection she has with Hopper and we hear these steps and then she and then Hopper kind of bursts through the door 11 you know millie bobby brown's performance in this moment is fantastic and he, she says i didn't close the door i kept it however many inches she's meant to keep it open which is such a good line and they 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 embrace they reconcile their crying and they both recognize they've lost their hair by this point they've both got shaved heads which i think is a really nice mirroring moment yeah
1: that's such and a lovely moment
0: <laughs> it's such a lovely moment but Eleven, she says, Um, she goes, you look, and there's a bit of a pause, and Hopper completes it and says, not fat, and then they laugh. And I was like, oh, okay. I remember when that first happened, I remember going, oh, that was gross. Yeah. That was a really gross thing to say here. Yeah. And then it doubles down, Sarah, because as he goes out and he sees all the other kids are there and you've got uh, Joyce, uh uh, coming back to Jonathan and Will, and he sees Mike, and they do the whole, you know, like father laying the boyfriend thing when they have to be like, mm, you know, handshakes. Yep. <laughs> and he go- he says to Mike, "You've grown," and Mike replies, "You've shrunk." Mm. So, going back to what you were saying about—is it intentional with with the with the lust scene for ha- for lack of a better word, the desire scene happening? Uh, you know, purposely when Hopper is smaller, and we see we can actually see how small he's become and then they double down by going like oh no we really want to make it clear that everyone is actually uh this is a positive it's a positive that hopper has lost weight uh and that just feels so gross because 11 nor mike don't understand why hopper is as thin as he is now. Yeah. But they both have to comment on it yeah. when they first meet him again. It's like this emotional reaction. They both comment on it within like three sentences of seeing him again. And it is, you know, smiles and laughs. This bothers me so much. It's genuinely, it's yeah. such
1: a weird, such a weird trope. It's so weird. <sighs> the idea that it has to be that for a, for a bigger body to go in either direction must require comment in the script where it doesn't Mm -hmm. really matter because then you have characters. Like, I mean, people lose and gain weight, like in TV shows constantly. I mean, in Hollywood, what usually happens is you have someone get thinner over the series, which is always really sad, Mm. but it's never really commented on. But Mm-mm. whenever you have a fat person, that it's almost like there's an elephant. This it's almost like letting a fat person on screen. You have to have some sort of comment. Like there has to be almost, so like, an acknowledgement from the from the yeah. creators to say we know there's a fat person here, but trust me, this for a reason. I mean, in Dumpling, mm-hmm. Dean's first like first line mm-hmm. within the first like thirty seconds, she goes, "I may be fat, but at least I'm not delusional." And in Bridgerton, mm-hmm. Penelope Featherington, she's not even mm-hmm. on screen for thirty seconds where she goes, "I am this," and her sister goes what she is is two stone heavier than she ought to be and it's like that's these are the first lines the first interactions with these characters and it's like there has to be an acknowledgement and dialogue that yes we know trust me, there's a point. And I kind of feel mm-hmm. that this is the reverse of that. So we know that Hopper, when we first meet Hopper, we know that he is not taking care of himself. So therefore there's kind of like, there's a lot of beer, but he's got a beer gut. So there's like a kind of, it's not acknowledged in dialogue, which I will give them credit for. However, but the thing is he eats donuts and stuff like that. But is that a kind of police, um, that's a kind yeah. of police like stereotype. Uh, but then okay. when, when he comes back and sees the kids and then they mm-hmm. comment on it, It is Mm. the weirdest, it is the weirdest interaction because I thought like the mirroring, like you know, the the touching of their hair is an acknowledgement about what they have both been through and that was Mm -hmm. so powerful and I'm like, you don't need to do anything else. You look not fat and stuff like that because to be fair, I'm pretty sure that at one point Hopper says in something to do with the series something like you know the short hair shoots, suits her, and if there was some sort of mirroring back, if she says it suits you, mm. then mm. They, then that would be all. it is. it's a case of the two of them, the two of them are. This is why they're fated to be father and daughters because they are the same. They have both been through, yeah. hell and they have each other's backs. That's how they they those two are equals, and that's when their relationship is strongest. But. Mm-hmm. It's it's weird. I mean, I actually quite like the line from Mike saying you've shrunk, but it's because mm-hmm. Hopper's been absent for a season. So in his mind, Mikey has gone through more and Hopper has been brought down sort of thing in his estimation. So Hopper isn't the big saviour god. Hopper was the one that was brought down. Mm-hmm. Mikey's starting to realise that the adults who protect him mm-hmm. are not are are subject to the monsters as well so there's an element of he's kind of saying I'm not scared of you anymore but linking it twice mm-hmm. with his eyes is just, it's just completely unnecessary and also again it's keeping it's using it for a tone shift it is a really important line mm-hmm. but we're going to use comedy for making a fat joke in order to mm-hmm. like, you know, make it palatable and I'm like oh that's
0: uncomfortable mm-hmm. <laughs> Oh, yeah yeah, it is. It is. It's just. It that's absolutely the best word for it. It's so uncomfortable. Yeah. And when we look back on the history that Stranger Things has with treating its plus size characters, where they have a character who has experienced dramatic weight loss, it is a choice in how they have their other characters react to it. Exactly. Because you're just then going, oh, well, then what were these people thinking about Barb or thinking about Bob? You know, they yeah. they didn't have their redemption weight loss journey oh. quote unquote you know yeah and they died they died sarah because they, they, ch- they couldn't redeem themselves it's yeah like they
1: that's not a good statistic <laughs> when you look it's at not the, good. it's like how many fat people do you have on this show i see how many have died i see <laughs>
0: How many have perished? Ah, okay. I <laughs> uh, But you've brought some back before, but none of the no, none of the fat people. Fantastic. Exactly. I see where your morals are.
1: <laughs> oh yeah. They when they did, when they did, they dead. They dead.
0: they get No coming back for the fat people. No. No, no, no. Not on this show. Let's we'll create our own show, Sarah. <laughs> it's very upsetting. It's very upsetting. Is there anything else you wanted to mention with Hopper? <laughs> I'm really intrigued
1: as to where Hopper's going because, like, a very good question. Like, I kind of want to know where everyone's going to end up because I know we're coming into we're coming into the last season that's going to is the next season going to be released. We have the big bad Hawkins has been has fallen into the upside down. Like it's a case of Hawkins mm-hmm. the safety. Of the town has been destroyed, and it's the big, it's it's the big, it's the big overall ending. But mm-hmm. in the way that. I find it interesting how Nancy became a sort of subverted final girl trope mm-hmm, in mm-hmm. her own way. And how people have played out. I kind of don't know what they're going to do. Because again, in order for the kids to get up to shenanigans, the adults can't be there. But at the yeah. end of season four, it's all of them in the field standing together yes. and staring at as if they are that like they are the front lines. They're literally the front line. Yeah. This is a group effort. So I wonder what they're going to do, how do they split up, how are they going to handle this series and who's going to have what trope. But because they're all back together again they all have to fall into their own tropes as well. And Hopper is, Hopper's the leader, like Hopper's the leader mm. and El is his is his general. Like that's always mm-hmm. been their relationship in whatever way, when it comes to the end, there's always, there's always like, you know, a moment where Hopper finds the kids and then they go forward. It's a case of the kids can't handle anything more themselves, they've done, they've taken it as far as they can go. Now they need a grown up and that's when Hopper steps in. But now Hopper's back. I'm really intrigued to see where he's going and I want to know how much of it is him changing character and becoming this, like, very stereotypical action hero, because now he looks like one. hmm I, I would be far more, in the same way that I'd be much more interested if Eddie was a fat person, if Hopper was still alcoholic, damaged, like, you know, fat police chief that's that's who i want to see take on this evil i don't want fresh out the gulag like action hero. No. i don't want it
0: so, no
1: very totally i don't i don't want yeah. a voice on his arm like you know me and my family i don't want that guy i want damaged dad
0: yeah yeah i think that's a really good point like i i'd be interesting to see whether uh david harbour has been instructed to keep the weight off or whether he has gained it back uh in in reality he should gain it back because he will be eating a normal diet again there would be no reason for him to remain i mean i guess it depends how much time has passed between four and five but yeah like that that would be really telling to see how they handle that yeah uh
1: I want I him just... on egos, being like, I haven't eaten in six months, kid. I am eating all... Fuck off. Get your own egos. Go buy your own. You've got pocket money. You can buy your own food. I want him, like, yeah.
0: going Get the far in the
1: other direction.
0: Yeah, fantastic. All credit to him. Eat, man. Eat. 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 It's <laughs> it very important. You need to fucking eat. Yeah. Uh. So... I know we spoke about the plus-size characters. I just have one final question because this is something that's bugged me since the end of season four. And I just want to know your thoughts because you are a fan. So we have the Will and Mike storyline where Mike's kind of been ignoring Will. He feels really uncomfortable around Will because Will isn't like, quote-unquote, the other... Uh, lads in the group like he isn't pursuing romantic relationships with girls and it kind of puts Mike on edge I mean we know as the audience even though it's not being explicit we know the audience like Will is clearly meant to be gay and clearly loves Mike mm-hmm. and that's the whole thing they have this moment when they're like traveling cross-country or trying to get Elle where will gives mike this painting and it's all of them dressed up as like knights and swords people fighting like a three three three-headed dragon i think yeah and mike yeah mike's at the the leader of the group and he's like the one like you know closest to the dragon and he's got like a heart on him and will says uh that's because you're the heart of the group does Will mean that literally, like, he thinks that, like, Mike's the leader of the group of the kids? Or does he mean you're the heart of the group because you have my heart because I love you?
1: I don't know. I hope that Will doesn't love Mike because Will can do so much better. And I, think- I can't. Ugh, I just I hope not I mean I, I don't I don't know because again it's it's really difficult to judge because each show each show that deals with teenagers deals with their sexual awakening and their sexual their sexuality differently and so far Stranger Things has been a relative for the younger generation anyway has been a relatively sexless show like their emotional mm. relationships have been awkward like the fact that Max and Lucas like get like mm-hmm. break up and get back together multiple times and that's their relationship that's that I dump your ass whenever you annoy me and then we get back together that's kind of different for like you know Nancy and Jonathan who are shagging all the time um I kind of (sighs) feel that like I feel that Will is realizing that he's losing people I think I don't Mm. really I don't know whether he loves Mike or he loves their relationship. And he's really worried that Mm. he's going because as soon as Elle comes on the scene and Mike starts like, you know, wanting to get Mm a girlfriend and that's it, Mm they're over. So I don't really Mm -hmm. think it's how you have, he has your heart. I don't know why. I think he's very mistaken because when he says that Mike is the heart of the group, that's bullshit. Mikey is the most selfish little (sighs) prick going.
0: That is, that's a bit that really rubbed me up the wrong way. I was like, that is wrong, Will. And I don't know whether that's Will interpreting it wrong or whether that's the writers interpreting it wrong. I was like, that's. That's not it. That's not the group. That's not how that group dynamic works.
1: No, I think it's the writers interpreting it wrong. I think yeah, I think because think, the thing is, Mikey really cares, but his cares are selfish. His cares are yes. selfish. yeah, yeah, so, yeah. But at the same time, like he's got protagonist syndrome, but he technically is the protagonist. So mm-hmm. like it's it's almost like it's justified, even though he's a little shit. So I think mm. I think it's the writers mis like misinterpreting it and thinking. And kind of like, you know, positioning, because again, Mikey throughout the season, just because everyone else is dealing with their own stuff, Mikey is slipping into the background when he is meant to be the main character. He is meant to be the one, yeah. who, like, you know, brings Elle into the group and then like, you know, fights the most for her when she's like going and disappearing and all that kind of stuff. So I think mm. that that's all like, I think that there's almost, they're tra- the writers are trying to make sure that he stays relevant when everyone else is more interesting.
0: That's that's exactly how I read it. That's exactly how I read it. But I do feel really
1: bad for Will because I think this is again, too much is going on in the show and it's really difficult because everyone's split up and everyone has to go and be on their different journeys and I don't think that we got enough of this, but because just because again Will was absent for all of season one and possessed of season two. I know. So interesting that Will is trying so desperately to keep the D&D group together. Like, even I though know. they're becoming actual adventurers, Will wants it to still be fantasy because he knows that as they're growing up, he's losing them. And that really, yeah. really breaks my heart. And I'm like, I wish that was explored more. Like, I really wish yeah, it explored more because Will is the person who has lost the most. He has lost 100%, he has lost all sense of safety because he has been taken and possessed. He has lost all kinds of, like, you know, like, all kinds of comfort in his family. He has lost his friends. Mm -hmm. He has lost his home. Like, he's the one that has lost everything. To an extent, he lost Jonathan, but then Jonathan's the one that kind of Mm -hmm. was, like, you know, making sure, being like, you know that we are always good, right? Which was a beautiful moment. Just, John, mm. like, you do realise that I know when it's fine, which was mm. lovely. I wish there was just mm. explicit, though. I'm just like, stop dancing around it. Just fucking say mm. it. Because again, he uh-huh. said it with Robin. Like, Robin, mm-hmm, yeah. Robin's outwardly queer, which was weird because I totally shipped Rob. Like, I can usually spock or girly from a male thing, <laughs> but like, but no, the I really shipped. I thought, oh, Steve and Robin, this is this is great. This is fantastic. Um, mm. But yeah, I I actually think that Steve and Nancy are romantic endgame, and I'm just like,
0: yeah, I did too. Uh,
1: I don't know how I feel about that, but mm. but yeah, it's different. I don't know. It's 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 weird. I think that they're having to fight tooth and nail. I think they might have had a long game plan for Mikey and they're mm-hmm. having to stick to it.
0: Mm-hmm. And they're having to fight for their lives because nobody likes him. <laughs>
1: That's what no, I mean, like
0: to do. totally, totally. Like he's the one that could easily like drop out of the group. 100%. Uh, like, easily. I, I, I literally said, I think because I got, uh, I've already expressed my feelings for, for strange things. But yeah, in season four, I was like, I could literally drop, mike and jonathan like that yeah. like they add nothing to the story for me no. like nothing I like- even lucas yeah. who doesn't have a lot to do in season four i found his arc interesting yeah because like you know graduating from geek to jock is an interesting yeah you know position to find yourself in yeah and going back to like to the awful awful bully of like the basketball group he is clearly 35 years old that actor
1: that guy's got a mortgage <laughs>
0: He has two kids. Yeah, exactly. Come on. (laughs) Oh, it's it's so funny. Like, I I love, I mean, I love it because, like, we get it. We get it. uh, You know, we know, we understand the media language being used. Like, we're meant to take the piss, but it really is funny. Yeah. It's so funny. Sarah, have you got anything else you want to raise on Stranger Things? I wish that more
1: originals were being made. We're kind of in the we're in the media landscape of sequels and mm. seasons, like that. I think I'm totally with you. You know what I wanted? I wanted an uh, anthology series. I wanted them to do what mm. I, I think. Stranger Things if Stranger Things was American horror story, it was amazing. If we were in eighties in Hawkins, like, you know, um one year and then we were in Victorian London with the same cast the next year, I think it would have been the best show in the world
0: oh yeah, that's so, a fun idea i love the idea of this
1: cast doing different things and having different dynamics in the same way that like what's happening right now um the haunting of Bly manor and the haunting on Hill- Oh, yes and oh. um i love that they're telling different horror stories with the same cast and doing different dynamics that i, I think yeah. that if stranger things had season one and then they went on and did something totally different but like you know it would have been perfection but again it was just such mm-hmm. a massive success that they were like we need to do the same thing again and as soon as you make that decision then it all just starts to go downhill <laughs> so more originals yeah. please season things but stranger things was a triumph i feel a triumph in originality yeah. that kind of like you know knock on effect let's commission more
0: originals please a hundred percent a hundred percent Let's wrap it up. Brilliant. Sarah, at the end of a fat on Film episode, we love to rate uh, our episodes, uh, our shows, our films, based on how well they represent fat bodies. And we like to rate <laughs> them out of ourselves. So out of a f- potential five Sarahs. What will you give Stranger Things for fat representation?
1: I will give you one
0: Sarah. Like you are so quick with that decision. No,
1: yeah, I just in out of a, you get one, you get one. Sarah, I uh-huh. wouldn't even give, I wouldn't even give them one. But the combination mm-hmm. of what they've been trying to do with Barb and with and with Sean Aston and with and with Bob mm-hmm. and to an extent with Hopper and with Dustin's mum, even like his tiny character, oh, yeah, he plays like yeah. that comes to one, and mm-hmm. it's a point, and also. I have a tiny bit of hope. I'm usually very cynical, but I do have a little bit of hope. And again, I don't think it's the right decision to be led by the fans. But we did see almost an apology for for making a mistake in the plot of season 1 and season 2. So that mm-hmm. gives me hope that they are listening and learning. So mm-hmm that's what i'm going to that's what i'm going to to give them i'm going to
0: give them one sarah out of five (laughs) one sarah okay i i'm gonna follow suit i'm gonna give it one hannah uh for the same reasons you've given like you know what i'm never gonna be angry at seeing a fat plus size person on my screen no no i i take take all day what i don't like is when they don't give the time of day to one character and just kill her off and then don't even make any of the cast seem to care that they killed her off Uh, that's the point i I will i will never ever get over the fact they hold us an assembly for will but not for barb that is disgusting bad it's so bad it's such an oversight um but i love the character of bob as much as like he uh meets his un- very untimely end in the most graphic way possible. I think he has so many different layers. They actually give him quite a complex personality and character. We get to know a lot about him in, like, the seven or eight episodes he's in. Yep. Which is awesome. Just hate that he died. Yep. And then with Harper, like... Yeah, I'm really happy this bigger guy who, who just feels real. Like, David Harbour feels real in that role. Mm-hmm. Um, And he is a leader. He is a formidable force. And, you know, all credit to him. Love that. Hey, how the weight loss story is being handled at the moment. So let's see what happens next season. <laughs> but it really is, like, for all of them, it really is up and down. And I think for that, like, when I, you know, checks and balances, it comes to one Hannah. Yeah. When it kind of, like, I love what they
1: try to do, but at the same time, mm-hmm. when you think about how big the cast actually is and how small the portion of people who are plus size in, I'm like, you can You can't get any more.
0: No, the representation percentage is poor. It could be better. They could absolutely be doing better. Yeah. Like, one of these characters could be fat. One of these central, like, cast could be, and I don't mean, like, dad bod fat or thick or however we describe David Harbour. I mean big you know i want i want some big people getting some money and having some screen time yes please. <laughs> yes please yes yes okay well thank you so much sarah for coming on this podcast and i feel like you've guided me through stranger things which i appreciate <laughs> <laughs> I, I i forgot so much of it <laughs> but i really appreciate your hand I, I i just really appreciate your insight you have said some amazingly eloquent things um just around representation and the tropes and i can really feel your passion in this and having another voice added to this conversation is no bad thing thank you for having so, me it's been so lovely it's been awesome i i absolutely adored this episode can you please let me and the listeners know where they can find you and more of your work
1: absolutely so on my social media it's kind of where i keep track of everything and working across Film, television, and documentary. Uh, So you can find me at Sarah Grant Creative on um, Instagram, S Grant Creative on Twitter, or X or whatever hellscape it is now. And uh, on TikTok, you can find me at Fat Girl Best Friend, where I do little mini uh, excerpts from my book and uh, just these tiny little things about plus-size people in film and television as well
0: perfect and uh, the links to sarah's socials will be in the show notes below and the listeners can find me at queen b says on instagram twitter and tiktok and they can also find the podcast at fats on film on instagram and twitter and also if you want you can drop me an email this is something i haven't added to the episode before but you can drop me an email at fats on at outlook.com just let me know your thoughts i mean if you have any recommendations of shows or tv that's the same thing, shows, TV, film, or any other media that you'd love us to discuss on this podcast, that would be super, super helpful. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. And remember to stay fat.